Montgomery Jones and the Wizard's Revenge by M.H. Damelin, read by Peter Gilchrist. Chapter 5. Poor man's exhausted, said Jemima, after he'd been on the river for a while, and Montgomery Jones had fallen fast asleep at the back of the boat. You know, I'm really starting to worry, Jem. When we were at the inn, Muggins said that Uncle Monty only had about 12 hours. And we've been on the road, so to speak, for almost that long. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got less than an hour to spare, replied Douglas, giving his uncle a concerned glance. Actually, by my reckon, I have 45 minutes, give or take, replied Montgomery Jones, sitting up with a grin and giving his gold pocket watch a glance. But by the look of it, I think we're, we're not far from our destination. And this was true indeed, for until now, they'd been carried along by the fast-flowing current between the steep, stony embankments, with little to see ahead or alongside them except for overhanging vegetation and the occasional guano-stained rocky outcrop. But now, the river had begun to broaden, and a hazy horizon had come into view, and in the distance they could see the river had split into several tributaries that were rather like the head of a hydra. Crikey, which way do we go? exclaimed Douglas. Well, why not let the, the compass decide? announced his uncle, and following Portisha Parrot's advice, he took the key off its chain and pointed the compass so that its red stone faced furthest from him. As he did this, the boat seemed to gain speed, and as if following an unspoken instruction, changed direction and began to veer towards a narrow tributary to the right of the central branch of the river. It's working, yelled Jemima excitedly. Yes, but are you hearing what I'm hearing, said Douglas? You mean that uh, that distant roaring sounds a bit like a, a, a waterfall, said Monty. Okay, this is not good, not good at all, cried Douglas. We've got no oars, we can't change direction, we're gaining speed, we're all going to drown. But look, there's a bridge in the distance. I bet it's the toll bridge, so we must be going in the right direction, shouted Jemima, above the growing din of the roaring water pointing at a distant bridge that seemed to hang weightless within a huge cloud of mist that the river tossed up as it plunged into the massive yawning chasm not far ahead of them. Hold on to something. Brace yourselves, we're going in yelled Monty as the boat raced towards the abyss. Douglas held on to the side of the boat as tightly as he could and shut his eyes, expecting at any moment to experience the terrible, thrilling stomach in your throat plunging down a roller coaster feeling as the boat neared the falls. But nothing happened. All was suddenly deathly still. Douglas opened his eyes, and to his utter amazement, he discovered the river and the waterfall had completely disappeared. The boat they were in now rested rather absurdly on a bone-dry, sandy bed with its nose about an inch away from the edge of the steep cliff 
that just moments before it almost been carried over by the raging torrent. Gosh, it is a disappearing river after all, exclaimed Joanne. And look, there's the bridge. This day just keeps getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> to think that we're following in the footsteps of William Montague himself. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought it possible, said Monty with a laugh, jumping out of the boat with renewed vigor. Now, off to the bridge. We don't have a moment to spare. Not too far in front of them stood the steel and stone toll bridge of Zunat, the only crossing from the world of fantasy to the forsaken lands, ancient and imposing, held together and immune to the ravages of time and space by powerful magic. It spanned almost impossibly the gargantuan water-film chasm that separated the forsaken lands from the world of fantasy, and had done so for longer than even the oldest and wisest could recall. And now, climbing up the steep path leading to its entrance, Montgomery Jones and his two companions found themselves facing a stone sentry, huge and featureless it was, and it blocked their path with a, a giant outstretched hand. Whoever wishes to cross the bridge of Zunag into the forsaken lands must pay the toll, it commanded in a loud and almost musical, monotonous drone. Uh, uh, good, good day, sir, to you, sir. My name is Montgomery Jones, and these are my... Uh, to cross the bridge into the forsaken lands all must pay the toll, repeated the sentry immovably. Yes, yes, I understand that. But I and my travelling companions are... Uh, all must pay a toll to cross the bridge of Zunag into the forsaken lands, reiterated the sentry without emotion. That we don't have to pay any toll for crying out loud, shouted Douglas, red-faced with exasperation. The giant stone sentry was silent for a few moments, as if considering this response, and then lowered his great arm. All may pass, it said, and then it promptly vanished. Oh, good, they're going on to the bridge then, said Monty with a grin. But before they could do so, there was a flutter of wings, and the large pied crow that had instructed them to get onto the boat by the jetty on the banks of the disappearing river, flew down and perched on one of the huge riveted steel beams above them. Here it is, it said in its strange croaky voice, clicking its beak and giving Montgomery Jones an intense expectant stare with a beady black eye. Hmm, you seem like a nice, uh, a very nice fellow, Mr. Crow. And I understand that your kind have an affinity for shiny things, but this key is extremely valuable, and I'm not about to hand it over, began Montgomery Jones. Have no fear, funny old man, interrupted the bird with a chuckle. Crow will return key to the stretchy parrot. Stretchy parrot? Oh, you mean Portisha? 
Okay, uh, you know, if you insist, said bemused Montgomery Jones, and he removed the chain with its key from his neck, held it out to the crow, who promptly flew down off its perch, grabbed it with its large black beak, and let out a tremendous croak and flew away. Like I said, weirder and weirder, remarked Jemima. And look, impossible to see through mist, just as we're about to cross the bridge. I mean, not like it's ever happened before in this crazy place, said Douglas irritably, as a thick cloud of heavy mist rolled in, completely obscuring the bridge and the land beyond it. Are, um, uh, are you feeling strong enough to walk across, Professor Jones? asked Jemima. Oh, absolutely. For some strange reason, I'm feeling rather energetic, which is odd considering I only have about 15 minutes to spare before I pop my clogs, replied Monty. But enough doom and gloom. No time like the present coming. Off we go. The bridge had seemed strange and imposing. When they first approached it, it was doubly so now that they were making their way across it. The thick, damp, low-hanging cloud that enveloped it clung to them, soaked into their clothes and their hair, dripping into their eyes, making their footfall sound eerie and hollow. And it seemed to the travellers that they were suspended in mid-air, while far below they could hear the rushing water at the bottom of the chasm as a cold, shrill wind caused the mist to circle and twist about them like swirls of cream in a cup of coffee. Finally, when they'd been walking for what seemed like an eternity, the bridge came to an end, and they clambered down a steep, uneven path onto the open plain. And now the mist had become thin and wispy and was blown away to reveal a prairie, a vast, empty grassland as far as the eye could see, Still and forlorn and silent. You know, I hope we're in the right place, said Douglas. I mean, if this is where all lost and forgotten things end up, wouldn't you expect it to be, well, you know, sort of full of stuff? Just because you cannot see them, why assume they aren't there, Douglas Walker, said a voice. And before them was sort of tall, Slender woman wearing a black, shapeless, shroud-like gown. She had long, straight, bone-white hair that reached almost to her feet and possessed a strangely beautiful yet otherworldly face, pale with high cheekbones, a sharp mouth and nose and a high forehead and piercing, terrifying green eyes that suggested extreme age and immense power. So, I finally get to meet the bumbling fool whose actions released Harren of Gamroth from his cage and unleashed his insanity onto the world of reality, she remarked with a look of contempt. Montgomery Jones, I know why you're here. I have what you want, but I have a good mind to withhold it from you as punishment for your irresponsible actions. But Professor Jones' time was taken from him unjustly. You can't keep what's not yours, exclaimed Jemima. I 
and the keeper of all lost things. Do not presume to tell me what I can and cannot do with them, you foolish girl. Lord, the woman, her face twisted, enraged that made the ground and the very air around them shake and vibrate. There are many worthier than you, Montgomery Jones, who have lost more precious things than a mere smattering of time and have no hope of having them returned. Why do you deserve special treatment? Because, Madam Caretaker, or should I say, spirit of the Lady Vipora of Gamroth, if my actions have unwittingly resulted in unleashing your husband, Haran, and his madness upon the world, at least grant me my remaining time so that I can set things to rights, replied Montgomery Jones, looking suddenly very pale and struggling to stay on his feet. Help him for crying out loud, cried Douglas. He only, he only has a few minutes remaining. Two minutes and twenty-six seconds, as your uncle by my count. And perhaps he's not such an idiot after all, replied Vipora with a smile. All right. I will return your time to you on the condition that you swear to return Haran to the world of fantasy, no matter the consequences. I swear this, but getting him back to the world of fantasy is one thing. Preventing him from leaving is quite another, and well beyond our capabilities, replied Montgomery Jones. But not beyond mine. Get him back here, and I will do the rest, replied Vipora. Then we have an arrangement, which I will hold you to, Montgomery Jones. Now, take back what is yours. And then she stretched out her arms towards the dying man, as if guiding something towards him. And as she did this, Montgomery Jones' colour and strength began to return. And soon he, he was completely reinvigorated. Uh, Uncle, Uncle Monty, you're you again. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, exclaimed Douglas ecstatically. <laughs> I am indeed, my boy. I feel fantastic, <laughs> laughed Monty, prancing about. If I didn't know better, I'd swear I was ten years younger. <laughs> yes, yes, but, but to the business in hand, Montgomery Jones and companions said the Enchantress impatiently. I have ensured that all the resources of the Forsaken Lands are at your disposal now. Use them wisely. Your world depends upon your success. I must go, she said, fading as she spoke. I will return when I'm needed. And she was gone. How, how did you know that the Keeper of the Forsaken Lands was the wizard's dead wife, Vipora, asked Douglas. An educated guess, replied his uncle. Muggins and Albert Frogmore described the keeper as a self-appointed, incredibly powerful ghost-like being who had been in the Forsaken Lands for over a thousand years. Well, if you recall, Haron and Vipora fought each other to the death over a thousand years ago. And it stands to reason that when her body was destroyed by the wizard, Vipora's spirit found its way to the Forsaken Lands and claimed dominion over it. 
She's almost as powerful as him, after all. And understand, not just lost and forgotten things find their way to this place. Restless spirits, lost souls who can find no peace, wander here too. Okay, but that's really creepy, said Jemima with a shudder. My sentiments exactly agree, Douglas. We need to get out of here as soon as possible. And where are all these resources that Vipora has placed at our disposal? All I'm seeing is empty space. I think we have to summon them. And I think we can only summon a specific object when we've decided that we have a use for it, replied his uncle. Now, the first thing we have to do before we do anything else is find out what the wizard's up to back at the house. We must know his plan so we can work out a, st a strategy to defeat him. And we certainly can't return to my house without seeing what's going on there first. It's far too dangerous to do otherwise. One could potentially walk into a trap. And how, how exactly do you plan to do that? asked Douglas. <laughs> I, I have a hunch. Now let's see if it's correct, replied his uncle with a smile, and he called out, I summon the eye of Isabella Papava. To everyone's amazement, there suddenly appeared before them a large, deep blue crystal ball resting on an ornate stand of entwined silver dragons with amethyst scales and garnet eyes. Ah, so my hunch was correct after all. The eye of Isadora Papua did end up here, and how wonderfully fortuitous, remarked Monty triumphantly. But what is it, asked Jemima? It's a fortune teller's crystal ball, of course. And not just any crystal ball, but one which belonged to Isabella Papava, regarded by some as the greatest prognosticator of all time. With her eye, she could see all, and her predictions were never wrong, but unfortunately this led to her undoing. Legend has it that she, she was called upon by the King of Atlantis to predict his future. And when she told him that his kingdom would be lost forever, he was so furious that he had her head chopped off and ordered a ship to cast the eye into the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana Trench, so that it could never be used again. Well, I had a hunch that it had found its way here, and fortunately I was right. Let's see if it can show us what's going on back at my old house. But do be careful when you look into it. Be mindful. Focus on the present, whatever you do. Do not let thoughts of the future enter your head, for it may show you things you don't want to see. So Montgomery Jones cut the blue ball with both hands, and Douglas and Jemima gathered around him, and he spoke to him, saying, I am Isabella Papaba. We ask that you show us my house in the world of reality and the doings of Wizard Haran. And lo and behold, the ball began to glow and within its deep blue glass, an image soon began to form. Good heavens, it's worse than I thought, exclaimed the little man. In the center of the crystal ball, they could see Montgomery Jones' house, but it was a mess. 
Just as in Douglas Dream, the castle hall was badly damaged. Large slabs of stone had been dislodged from its ancient walls and turrets and had either rolled down there or had gathered in piles at the foot of the house, along with some of the old cannons, and now lay scattered about or embedded in the piles of rubble, and the mansion portion of the house was badly cracked and many of its windows were broken. But worst of all was the poor tower, which was missing its top and leaning rather precariously to one side, as if about to topple over. Suspended in mid-air, above the stricken tower, and engulfing almost a third of the house was a, a huge bubble, and in it, frantically puffing away on his hooker, was the wizard, with a particularly gleeful and deranged expression on his face as he darted maniacally from one end of the bubble to the other, becoming more and more ecstatic with each inch that it grew in size. He's completely wrecked your house, cried Douglas. Yes, but, you know, houses can be fixed, replied Montgomery Jones. The important thing is that now I know the lay of the land and I know what I have to do. I have to climb up what remains of the tower and blow that old buzzard's bubble to smithereens. With, with, with what, asked Jemima? Well, there's nowhere I can get close enough to ram something sharp and greasy into the bubble without being seen by the wizard, so I'm thinking grease-coated lead shot should do the trick. I'll take a whole bunch of bird shot, you know, those small, small lead balls, coat them in axle grease, load up old Harriet, uh, that's my blunderbuss, and blow a hole in the wizard's bubble so large that he'll be taking a one-way trip back to the world of fantasy faster than he can blink. But how do we get back to the world of reality? We don't have the mirrors at our disposal like last time, remarked Douglas. Ah, well, that's the least complicated bit in all this, replied Monty with a chuckle. Remember the last time we were here, I told the wizard that I had memorised an exit spell, and in truth didn't know one, silly me. Well, I know one now, and it's pretty simple. One word, actually. You just think of the precise location that you want to return to in the world of reality, and say the word and you should be transported back home in an instant to the exact place. It's that simple. Now, I'm off to my projectile room where I keep my rockets and gunpowder and shots, and Harriet to prepare a nasty surprise for Wizard Haran. Wish me luck. Oh, well, well, we're, we're, we're coming too, of course. You're going to need our help, said Duncan. Absolutely out of the question, my boy. <laughs> That's rather funny, given the circumstances, <laughs> replied Monty. This is a job for me and me alone. I wouldn't dream of exposing you two to that kind of peril. You know what the wizard did to me? The idea of you and Jemima being swallowed by one of Aaron's bubbles and exposed to his awful power is just... Well, it's too horrifying to contemplate. No. It's um, simply way too risky for all of us to return to my house. And anyway, it's, uh, it's, past, it's past six and you really need to be getting home. But don't fret. I'll sort the old rascal out once and for all. Now, listen carefully. 
when I've called out the exit spell and been sent back to our world, decide between you where you want to go. Then hold hands, picture the place in your minds as clearly as you can, and say the spell as I have done in a loud voice, which will take you there. Goodbye, my dears. See you when I see you. And with that, Montgomery Jones closed his eyes, and after a few minutes of concentration, shouted, Domos! in a loud, clear voice, and promptly vanished. Well, there goes Uncle Monty in his typically impulsive manner, remarked Douglas with a wry smile. I hope he's thought, thought all this through. He hasn't. It's going to go horribly wrong, cried Jemima. Oh, how do you know? Well, because when we were looking into the ball, I saw something, a future event, I think. You and me were at the house and your uncle, your uncle was falling. That's all I saw. It was just a, a flash of an image, but it left me with a, a really bad feeling. We have to go to your uncle's house and help him. Otherwise, it'll be tickets for Professor Jones. I, I, I just know it. OK, but we must go prepared. I mean, the Forsaken Lands are full of all sorts of things that could potentially defeat the wizard. And I have an oddball idea for something that may work against her aunt, said Douglas. But most of the things that I hear belong to the world of fantasy. They won't last one second in our world, replied Jemima. Um, I know, but I think these things may be able to be present in both worlds, said Douglas. And in order to confirm my theory, I'm going to need Vipora's help. Let's hope she's amenable and doesn't blow me to smithereens when I ask her. You may be pleasantly surprised, replied a voice on the wind. Now, you're wondering what... What is happening with Montgomery Jones while all this was going on? He had indeed been transported back to the world of reality and was greatly relieved to find himself in his workroom, in the old mansion portion of the house, which is the place that he had visualised in his mind before uttering the exit spell. The room was in quite a state of disarray. Tools lay scattered about and paint pots had fallen off shelves and had spattered their contents onto the floor and the walls, and the old supply cupboard had fallen over, spilling its nails and bolts and screws and other bits and bobs all over the place. The room was missing its window panes, but amongst all the mess, he was able to find the pot of axle grease that he was after, and was soon making his way as quietly as he could along the house's long passage, now littered with chunks of plaster and fallen paintings, and up a flight of stairs to the top floor where his projectile room was situated. Fortunately, everything was pretty much intact in the dusty room, and Monty darted inside, grabbed two handfuls of lead shot and a large dollop of grease from the pot, squished it into a greasy, pellety mess, grabbed his blunderbuss, charged the ancient gun with as much gunpowder and greasy lead shot that it could hold, 
primed the flash pan with gunpowder, shoved a bit more greasy birdshot down the barrel with the ramrod for good measure, and then darted out of the room, down the stairs, along the passage leading to the stricken tower. Let's go, Harriet, old girl, he whispered excitedly, his face red with exertion. We've literally only got one shot at sending that nuisance of a wizard packing, so don't let me down. Hmm? But when he arrived at the clock room at the foot of the tower, he was dismayed to discover that apart from the fact that most of his beloved clocks, with the exception of one or two hardy ones, were smashed and broken. The spiral staircase that he needed to take him to the top of the tower and then range Havron's bubble was choked with rubble and unusable. <sighs> Trat and blast that abominable sorcerer, he cursed. It's plan B, then. The iron stairway at the end of the house, that should take me high enough and close enough to get old Harriet within range of the darn bubble. Assuming the stairway is still usable, best foot forward, Monty Pal. The door at the foot of the tower had been knocked off its hinges and its doorway almost blocked by fallen rubble. But Montgomery Jones was just able to squeeze through it and began to make his way slowly, carefully, stealthily around the poor old house, keeping as close to the walls as he could in order to escape the gaze of the wizard. Finally, he reached the end of the mansion and found to his relief that still firmly attached to the ivy-colored side wall was a narrow spiral wrought iron stairway, itself almost invisible beneath the thick curtain of ivy that entwined and enveloped it. Montgomery Jones began to climb the stairway and soon reached the rusted remains of a viewing platform at the top of the house. Carefully, he climbed onto it and from there hoisted himself onto the roof. He began a treacherous half-crawl, half-clamber along exposed roof beams and broken roof tiles, inching his way slowly but surely towards the spellbinder in the giant soap bubble, which gleamed a strange dusky orange in the light of the setting sun. <laughs> Is it my imagination, or do I detect a nasty, crawly, sniffling rodent about the place? said the wizard with a growl. Hello, Haram. Thanks for destroying my house, said Montgomery Jones, standing up and steadying himself against a large brick chimney. One destroyed home deserves another, Montgomery Jones, bad penny. And I was so certain I got rid of you for good this time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, sorry to burst your bubble, Harold. Actually, I'm not sorry in the least, retorted Monty, and aimed his gun at the bubble and pulled the trigger. There was an almighty bang, and a cloud of smoke and flame as Harriet discharged her load. A recoil sending the little man flying backwards and almost off the roof. But the lead shot simply sank into the bubble surface and then ricocheted out again in all directions with a high-pitched whine. Fool, did you really think you could get away with your greasy strategy for a second time? Well, 
Unlike you, I learn from my mistakes, sneered the wizard. These are new and improved grease-proof bubbles, and it's time you took a closer look at one. With that, a bubble budded out of the gigantic one the wizard was sitting in, and in an instant, it was upon Montgomery Jones and it engulfed him. Back <laughs> in my clutches, eh, Jones? Well, I assure you this time will be the last. And as the wizard said these words, Sparks darted through his bony fingertips and flew through invisible veins towards the bubble Montgomery Jones was in, filling it with blindingly intense orange and green flames that instantly turned the blunderbuss the man was still holding to a pool of molten metal. Incredibly, nothing at all happened to Monty, just stood there with a smile on his face as the flames danced and flickered about him. Leopold's shield, shrieked the sorcerer in enraged disbelief. Good. Not even your magic can penetrate Leopold the Great's protection spell. You should never have left it in the Forsaken Lands. For your wife lent it to me just before I transported myself here. As you can see, it worked very effectively inside the magical environment of your bubbles. Let's see if this spell works too. And he uttered the words, Plasmon, reversum et invertium, causing the flames about him to reverse themselves and travel from his bubble back to the wizard's bubble, filling it with fire instead. But the wizard just gave an evil chuckle and waved his hand, and the fire vanished in an instant. Must get out of this, muttered Montgomery Jones, and closed his eyes and shouted, Damas! But the wizard waved his hand again, and the exit spell was neutralized. You're not going anywhere, he sneered. Leopold's shield may protect you from my magic, but it's useless against the forces of your world. Let us see how you fare against gravity, Montgomery Jones. And as the wizard spoke, the bubble Monty was in began to float up into the sky as if suddenly filled with helium. Put my ankle down, Aron shouted Douglas. Douglas, Jemima, what in the dickens are you doing here, shouted Monty, as the bubble rose higher and higher into the sky. Oh, look, it's your meddling nephew. And some other person come to save your hide yet again, remarked the wizard glaring down at Douglas and Jemima, who had suddenly materialised next to a large pile of rubble in which a small cannon was embedded, its barrel pointing upwards like an ancient anti-aircraft gun towards the bubble. You're just in time to witness what happens when your uncle is raised and dropped from a great height. Do you think he'll go thud, or splat, or both? Let's find out. Don't worry, Professor Jones, we've got everything in hand, cried Jemima. Doug, quick, the fruitcake for the cannon. Are you two idiots making a futile attempt at blasting my bubble with that poor excuse for a cannon? <laughs> Cackled Aaron, who was now enjoying himself immensely. Nothing, 
Not even the sharpest blade or needle in existence can pierce it. You're wasting your time. Perhaps, but what we have here is the sharpest blade that never existed, courtesy of Vipora, replied Douglas with a smile, holding up a small leather pouch as Jemima threw chunks of something dark and brown into the cannon, and then packed a piece of the same material into its touch hole, where the fuse would usually go. Let's see how your bubble fares against this. What utter nonsense, you stupid boy, said the wizard, trying to hide his growing confusion and unease at the second reference to his wife. There's no such thing as the sharpest blade that never existed. Oh, yes, there is, retorted Douglas, as he forced the bag into the mouth of the cannon and pushed it down with a piece of wood that he'd found in the rubble. It turns out that the forsaken lands are full of lost and forgotten things than one wouldn't expect to find. Even forgotten ideas in the pouch is an idea by the great scientist Stanley Stoffendorf for the sharpest material in existence. Unfortunately, Professor Stoffendorf died before he could make it, so the idea was lost and forgot and found its way to the Forsaken Lands. Now it is the sharpest material that never existed. Vipora kindly retrieved and concentrated it for us. It's guaranteed to rip your bubble to shreds. So put my uncle down or else, threatened Douglas, as Jemima took a match from a matchbox and made ready to strike it. Oh, I'll bring your uncle down, all right, shrieked the wizard. And then three incredible things happened, almost all at once. The bubble that Montgomery Jones was in, which was now so high that it was difficult to see from the ground, stopped ascending, wavered in midair for a moment, and then began to plummet to earth at incredible speed. Then with a puff on his hooker, the saucer created a third bubble, which instantly budded from his own and raced toward Jemima and Douglas. But at that moment, Douglas shouted, Blast him, Jim! And without wasting a second, Jemima struck her match and put the flame to the touch hole. In an instant, and just as the bubble was upon them, there was a fierce orange and purple flash of flame and an almighty boom as the cannon fired. And from its mouth, a blinding, burning trail of red issued forth, like a fiery gust of dragon's breath, which ripped through the bubble and just engulfed them and soared upwards towards Haron's bubble, tearing a huge hole in its shiny surface and causing it to explode with a bang that shook the old house to its foundations, shattering any remaining windows and making what was left of the tower collapse in a cacophony of noise and dust. In that same instant, the bubble Montgomery Jones was in, which by this point was about to hit the ground, exploded too, and Monty vanished into thin air. But for a second, the wizard remained suspended above the house as if not realizing that his fortress was gone. Until suddenly, 
an enormous fissure opened up the hillside and Vipora's voice could be heard above the tumult and she said, I am the keeper of all lost things. Lost are you now, Haram, and mine to keep forever. These words, the sorcerer let out a terrified roar and was pulled into the closing fissure and was gone. And suddenly all was quiet and the hill and everything on it covered in a strange silvery soapy foam. And Douglas and Jemima stared at each other in amazed, dazed silence. Well, how fortunate. I was still wearing Leopold's protection spell when my bubble exploded. Sorry, I forgot to tell you about that before leaving the Forsaken Lands, didn't I? At any rate, the absolutely out-of-the-question rule detected it as soon as the bubble burst, and I was instantly transported to the world of fantasy and found myself landing in some kind of jelly lake for want of a better description, courtesy of Vipora, not very nice tasting, <laughs> but superb at breaking falls, and an exit spell later, and here I am again, said Montgomery Jones, after suddenly appearing before them and covered from head to foot in slimy purple jelly. And I must say, your blasting Stanley Stoffendorf's forgotten idea the sharpest material in existence into the wizard's bubble, using my housekeeper's fruitcake as a propellant, was a double stroke of genius. I couldn't be prouder of you two. I remembered how powerful a fuel it was. We only needed a heap teaspoon of Mrs. Brown's cake to make the marvellous spinning mirror muddler spin us into the world of fantasy. The last time I was here, said Douglas with a smile, it's just pure luck that you gave me one of her small cakes to take home as a memento all that time ago. And what made me put in my haversack, I'll never know. It's written in the stars, methinks, said Montgomery Jones, trying his best to imitate Muggins' strange Scottish accent. Put your... Your poor house, Professor Jones, exclaimed Jemima. Yes, the old thing has taken a pretty pretty bad beating, said Montgomery Jones, staring up at his partially demolished home. But all is not lost. Nasty old Heron has left his hooker behind. There it is at the foot of the hill. Don't ask me why it's still there. Maybe it has its own skin-tight bubble suit. Anyway, I plan to make a bubble big enough to envelop my entire house and use a damage reversal spell on it. That should do the trick. Oh, and speaking of bubbles, it's time you got into one and went home. Your parents are probably wondering why you haven't shown up for supper. They walked down to the foot of the hill, and Montgomery Jones picked up the rather dented silver hooker and placed the end of the tube in his mouth and puffed on it, and in no time at all, he generated a rather large bubble. You're, you're, you're a natural at this, Uncle Monty, laughed Douglas. Well, not bad at all for a first time, <laughs> agreed his uncle. Let's see if I, can, if I can move it. 
and Monty moved his hands, and sure enough, the bubble moved in the direction he directed it to. Excellent. Excellent. Now stand close together, you two. I'm going to get it to engulf you. It's, it's worked, shouted Jemima joyously as the bubble approached and enveloped them. Fantastic. You are now in an environment where all the spells from the world of fantasy should work, including the exit spell. Thanks to Olharon, said Monty. So hold hands and say the exit spell like before. Now, have you chosen a place? We have, said Douglas with a grin. Good. Then I guess it's goodbye, my dear, said Montgomery Jones with a, a sad smile. Goodbye, Monty. It was such an honor to meet you, and I can honestly say that I've had the time of my life, said Jemima. Likewise, Miss Hall. Come back sometime and we'll have another grand adventure. <laughs> See ya, Uncle Monty. Try not to get yourself into any more trouble with sorcerers. You ain't the like any time soon, said Douglas with a smile. Well, where's the fun in that, my boy? Anyway, how else will I get to be with my two favorite people in the world? <laughs> So Douglas and Jemima grabbed each other's hands and shouted, Domus! on the count of three, and promptly vanished. A moment later, they found themselves in the treehouse in the old oak in Jemima's garden. Good heavens, I didn't realize you two were up there, shouted Mr. Hall from the kitchen window, as Jemima and Douglas descended the ladder. You need to come inside, it's getting really late. Doug, your dad just called to find out where you were. I think your, your parents are about to organize a search party. Where have you two been since the crack of dawn? You both look smashed and rather filthy. And, Jem, there's a very peculiar smell in the basement. What have you guys been up to? I hope it's nothing dangerous. <laughs> Mr. Hall, all I can say is that Jem and I have had what... One could honestly call a most eventful day, replied Douglas, giving his friend a conspiratorial grin. And that's all Jemima's dad could get out of either of them.